glimpses of glory. We all want reassurance. We all want to know for sure that we're doing the right thing, that we're on the right track. For Moses, as he struggles to lead the people, mere words of encouragement and affirmation are not enough. Let me see, he pleads. Let me see God. Then trusting will be easy. Keeping on the road will be easy. How do you describe the indescribable? How do you talk about the ineffable? How do you express the inexpressible? Say you were commissioned to construct a stained glass window that illustrates the theme of the glory of God. What signs and symbols would you use? What artistry and poetry would you weave together to catch hold of the impossible mystery that is the glory of God? A mere list of attributes would never do it all justice. A mere description would be cold and lifeless. Sometimes only poetry will do. To describe in glances and glimpses the glory of God. And that works fine. The Bible is full of imagery and metaphors and pictures and parables to draw us into the cloud of unknowing that is our faltering attempt to talk about God, our puny humanity seeking to wrap up in stammering words the cosmic majesty of God. Nice try, but no cigar. Glances and glimpses if we're very lucky, very blessed, very enlightened. And it works fine until some people get the poetry mixed up with narrative. And they miss the point. The poetry and the symbol are different from hard fact and cold reality. Then all the nonsense starts and the literal mind kicks in and it wants it all tied up and beribboned clear-cut and definite with no gaps and spaces no just not really knowing to be honest allowed Moses wanted more than ideas and dogmas about God he wanted some experience that would take him beyond cold hard statements and into the numinous and the wonderment and the mystery that God has to be to mere mortals like ourselves, with all our limits and limitations. For if we could totally absorb God in our thinking, if we could absolutely encapsulate him with our language, if we could hold him in our head or in our heart, he would have to be a pretty second-order deity. I made in our image instead of the other way around. We need to understand that no matter how hard we try, how ingenious we are, how gobsmackingly huge our brain might be, we can't do it. We can't define, explicate, deconstruct and contain God. Now that doesn't mean that we don't talk about him. Don't talk about him at all. Just as we can't stop ourselves thinking and talking about love, though we no, we will never catch it and hold it, and keep it in our grasp. But we sing about it, and we write poems about it, and we seek its reality in our life. Its full measure may slip through our fingers like mercury, 
but still we'll sing the songs, still we'll write them. We need to allow, though, that when Moses talks about hearing God's voice, seeing God's face, God hiding his face behind his hand so that Moses can only glimpse his back, then we're in that realm where language struggles to cope with the indescribable mystery of God, where poetry and symbol do their best to demonstrate the truth, the glory of God too bright to bear, the holiness of God too hot to handle. So, men and women, even the best believers take refuge in pictures, powerful images of majesty shielding us from the fire and the transcendence that is the being of God. God speaks to Moses, but does he speak to us? The glory of God is revealed to Moses, at least a glimpse of it. Do these things happen for us? They can do, perhaps, when we allow them to. In particular places, a magnificent cathedral with stained glass windows of shocking loveliness, a mountaintop, a sunset splashed across the lake, the dark vault of a winter's night lit with a billion stars. If we are listening at those moments, in those places, he speaks. God speaks to us when people demonstrate care, gather around us in loving support, where, where people challenge us or rebuke us with important truths. If we're listening, he speaks. God meets us and we glimpse his glory in moments of private devotion and stillness. When for a while we hush our busy lives and we have the discipline to wait on God and he comes to our life. God speaks to us and we glimpse his glory in holy place of pilgrimage. Where the mood is set and the whole experience is baptised in the countless prayers of the people. Something special, something sacred. We need to be open to more of those journeys, more of those opportunities. God speaks to us and we catch a glimpse of his glory in worship and through preaching. Healing, challenge, call. And that can bring a word of comfort or of summons, of inspiration or of hope. God grants us a glimpse of his glory and speaks volumes to us as we share the sacraments and draw meaning and power in that place, in those moments, beyond words drawn into the symbols, our spirit fed by his grace. But the New Testament reminds us that we must truly encounter the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The New Testament with a shocking, daring... The New Testament with a shocking daring invites us to see the glory of God somewhere very different, somewhere very unexpected, in the face of Jesus Christ. We're very fortunate in the 21st century. We have the filmmakers to help us understand how that can be. To expose us with dramatic force to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Pasolini, in his powerful gospel according to St Matthew, very beautifully invites us to see in the tender look of Jesus the God who welcomes and honours children. There's one scene where Jesus is speaking to the crowd 
and a little boy comes up beside him and tugs at his tunic. The Jesus of Pasolini's vision looks down at the child and smiles. This great man, this historic figure, this icon, looks kindly and patiently and lovingly on the child. And we see the glory of God and the generosity of heart, the spontaneous gentleness, the commitment to welcoming the child. And that's crucial for us as we present God to the children, as we, the church of this Jesus, connect with them. Children have long memories. One censorious look, one harsh comment, one dismissive remark, and that is embedded in their response to the church and the faith that we present to them. The face of Jesus, open with welcome, expresses the love God has for each child, each child entrusted to us as the people of God in the church family. Zeffirelli's film, Jesus of Nazareth, was a film of fabulous beauty. And the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that it presents is the glory of a God who forgives. When the woman taken in adultery is brought by the snarling crowd and thrown at Jesus' feet, the mob expects the mob expects disdain and recriminations, judgment, condemnation. All these hate-filled, self-righteous prigs, blind to their own appalling acts of selfishness and unkindness, bay for her death. As she trembles there, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and that face has forgiveness etched upon it. I wanted to cheer when I saw that part of the film. I wanted to be as free from a spirit of judgment as that Christ, to be embraced by that unconditional grace. Of course the edges get blurred. Of course being forgiven brings obligations. But this is not a God to run and hide from, but one to run towards and be embraced by love. When we come to Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, we might well wonder, where is the glory of God in that face? Horribly disfigured by a, a wickedness and a viciousness, the sound of which reaches to your very bones. And human beings deal with despicable cruelty, with an innocent man, and with gratuitous violence, brutalise a good man. And they beat him up so that his face is a mass of blood his eyes puffed and bruised, his forehead torn to shreds by the joke crown of thorns. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Hardly. And yet the greatest glory is there. The unquenchable love, the undefeated mercy and grace, the utter commitment to truth. The glory of God is suffering embraced if that's what it takes to show us, to make it clear beyond any doubt that there is nothing that can separate us from his love. The Gospels may tell us about a mysterious transfiguration event on the mountaintop when the closest disciples of Jesus catch a glimpse of the majesty and the holiness of God. And we might want to go there with them to that highlighted experience, that rarefied moment. But in reality, the glory of God is seen in the open face that welcomes the outcast, 
The smiling Christ who enjoys the Palm Sunday parade and can see the joke. The suffering Christ from whose bruised lips come words of forgiveness. And here's a thing. Teresa of Avila, that profoundly spiritual woman, once said, Christ has no hands but our hands. No voice but our voice. No face but our face. The glory of God in the face of his people. Our welcome for the children. Our generous hearts. Our willingness to suffer for the needs of the world. It could be. Maybe by his grace it could be. Amen.